Welcome to the Rebel Podcast, pep talks, meditations, and thought-provoking discussions to help you use emotional intelligence to thrive in life and business. The word rebel is French for rebel, broken down into its parts. Re means again, and bell means beautiful. I'm Katrina Harling, your host, and my intention for this podcast is to create more space in your mind to re-beautify the way you see yourself, your work, and the world around you. Let's go. Welcome to episode three of the Rebel Podcast Revisioning Emotions and Teaching Our Kids. Last week, I had the privilege of having a discussion and and an interview with Sammy Ann, who's a parenting consultant and a social emotional development guide. Through her one-on-one work, she provides guidance and support for individual children and families, helping them map the maze of options they face. She's particularly passionate about helping neurodiverse children and their families or any family considering homeschooling. Her focus is on building empowered parenting combined with effective tools and strategies that help children grow and thrive with or without a label. She has experience working in many industries with several years in education and allied health. She's a Bachelor of Early Childhood Education and a grad dip in psychology. But she's learned more from working with children and families and not to mention raising her own two young kids. I hope you enjoyed this conversation that we had. If you want to access any of the work that is discussed, you can head to the links that are provided below and find Sammy Ann or reach out to her. All righty. Thank you so much for coming and joining me today. Sally, maybe you can start by giving a bit of your own personal introduction about who you are and what you do and what you love to talk about. Sure. Thanks for having me, Katrina. I'm really excited. This is one of my passion topics, which I know it is one of yours as well, um, in terms of just talking about emotional intelligence and and emotion regulation. So, um, yes, I'm really excited to be here. So I'm Sammy Ann. I am the founder of Map the Maze. Um, Basically, what I do is I support parents and children and, and sort of whole family units through whatever maze they're facing, which can be many and varied, as we know, in parenting. Um, but I have a particular passion for supporting neurodiverse families. So, you know, families who are facing a diagnosis of autism or ADHD um, or learning difficulties. And there's a whole big process involved even in the diagnosis. And then even once you have the label or the, you know, the piece of paper that says this is what you have, there's a whole other process afterwards that, that families often go through as well. So I really love to help them navigate that because I think our system is very deficit-based and I like to bring people back to you know, connecting with each other and, and what are they, what are your kids great at and what do they love to do? So let's, let's focus on what's positive about your child so that we can bring a bit of that back into the experience as opposed to just focusing on what might be wrong. Um, really, it's just a matter of what's different. So that's a, sort of a big area that I support people with. Um, and I also, I have a background in education. So um, I'm also, you know, I can help with education options for families because I think we kind of just assume that kids just go to school and that's just what they do. But actually there are other options. You can homeschool, you can do a bit of both. You can, 
you know, go into different programs, there's different options for schooling. So, um, yeah, so there actually are a fair, fair amount of options available to families depending on um, their circumstances and what's going to be, work best for them. So I can help families navigate that and, and work out what's best for them. And then, of course, just your general, you know, development, um, developmental worries or uh, sort of social emotional skills is my, um, my favourite topic to talk and teach on. Um, because I, I really think that if we all have a really solid understanding of how our children develop in terms of their social and emotional development, how we can support that and how we can support ourselves. And sometimes it means reparenting ourselves um, to, you know, to actually, you know, come to a place where we understand our own emotions and therefore we understand our children's emotions and we can hold space for them. Um, I think that will go a long way to just having a world that's much more calm and, you know, get, a, get along with others a lot better. So <laughs> that's, I guess, me in a little bit of a nutshell. Amazing. There's so much that I wanted to pick on there, like, like not pick on, but pick up and, and talk about <laughs> and delve into. The one, the one thing that sticks out most for me, which I'd like for you to elaborate on, is social emotional. Like, what does that mean? Mm. So that? I think... You know, in terms of our society, we, you know, when we look at education, we think about education, we're so focused on academic areas, things like learning to read and write, you know, how do we, you know, learn numeracy and maths, um, you know, even down to the sciences and the arts that that's sort of all included in the curriculum, but Social and emotional development, I think, is actually what's at the core of each human being because we all have, you know, we're all born with massive emotion centers in our brain. And that's, you know, a lot of our sort of heritage from, you know, from our, from our ancestors is, is our emotions. And our social development is, you know, a biological drive as well. That's something that we're, we're driven to connect with each other and to form, you know, tribes and villages and, um and really have, you know, a close knit group of people that you can rely on for support. And so the way that we can make connections or foster connections is social skills. And we, we kind of just assume that if we just chuck kids in a room with other kids that then they just learn to be friends and that's, and they'll just get on with it. But actually there's a lot of ways we can teach our children how to be social, how to interact with other people. What are some of the social rules that we never talk about? We just kind of assume that people get um, you know, we, there's, there's ways that we can explicitly teach that. And for some children, they absolutely, for neurodiverse children, they absolutely need to be explicitly taught that they don't just pick up on these skills. So it's really important for those children. And then for other children who do pick up on it easily, it's still helpful because sometimes we'll pick up on things, but we'll, we'll form sort of a maladaptive, you know, coping mechanism to deal with it which may not serve us in the long run. So why don't we actually teach it from a young age? And then if we're teaching social and emotional skills, how to handle our own emotions and then therefore how to empathize with others and then how for, you know, therefore how to interact with others, then, you know, we're, we're really sort of forming a really solid base for them to get along so well in the world. And really regardless of how well they read or write, that's, that is a key you know, indicator of how well they're going to do later in life. Because if you can't connect with other people and if you can't handle your own emotions, then you're not even going to get to the point where you can show other people how well you can read or write or do maths because you, you kind of can't get through that first, you know, that get your foot in the door in terms of job interviews or, um, you know, or making friends or anything like that. So I think that's why I talk about it so much because in all of my, you know, education experience, it's, it's, there are a lot of buzzwords about social emotional development, but I think we can be doing a lot better in terms of how we deliver it in education, especially. 
Most certainly. I remember leaving school and having to learn myself about emotions and my own emotions and being really frustrated and thinking this should have been a subject at school. I should have learned this at school. And part of it was, what are my emotions? What am I feeling? What do they mean? And I think that's something that really does need to be taught because we're not always taught by our parents or by Mm. anyone else in our system how... It just doesn't seem to be something that's openly discussed, which... Ma- that makes no sense because we all go through it. So why why not talk about it more? Exactly. Um, and, this and yeah, and I think there's there's definitely an argument for, you know, a lot of people will talk about, well, we can't, the teachers can't teach everything. We've got to, you know, parents have got to teach some things. And while to a point that is true, and, and that's why I do work with mostly parents because I'm supporting them to learn how to teach these skills to their children. I also think there's a, there's a massive element that that can just be incorporated into. We can take some of the need to know stuff away from the curriculum because really it, this, in this information age, anything you learn is going to be outdated in five years time anyway. So let's take away some of that pouring the information in and let's actually give them some life skills. And that will include things like social emotional development. It might include things like budgeting. It might include things like, you know, how to, you know, work out what bank account's best to get or, you know, what home loan might be gets best to get if you want to buy a house or what, what you know, renting is and how to, how to do an application and all of these like life skills that, you know, are, are really practical things to learn about, I think is, is more important for the curriculum to be focused on than the actual learning of a subject. I couldn't agree with you more. Especially, especially early years and, and, you know, even early teen years. Yeah, I really, really couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more because there's so many people that come out the other end of school with they, without basic skills of writing a nice cover letter and sending in a resume, for example, or like you said, being able to be tech savvy, I mean, applying for rentals at the moment, it's all online now. So being able to be tech savvy enough to, to know all that and to do all that, you know, provide all the documents you need. Uh, I can really agree with what you were saying. Mm. And I really, uh, I didn't realize, so personally, let's go back to the um, emotional intelligence and that social emotional element of things. I actually didn't realize that I've been studying essentially emotional intelligence for the last maybe 15 years of my life until very recently and literally a couple of weeks ago I was looking at I started reading a handful of books on emotional intelligence and I thought oh wow this is what I've been self-studying for for you know nearly two decades because Mm -hmm. I hadn't been taught and so for for those of you listening who aren't exactly sure what emotional intelligence encompasses it's it begins with self-awareness so being being aware of yourself being aware of your thoughts and your emotions and your behaviors it's then the capacity to have empathy to look at other people and understand their emotions and their thoughts and their behaviors and then it's the social skills of being able to engage and interact with other people and it's that like you mentioned already the the social skills are critical and in one of the books that i was reading i, I want to say it's emotional intelligence 2.0 they quote a study where um, a group, I think it was these two people who wrote the book, actually, they took a hundred um, high-flying corporates in America into a room and they said, raise your hand if you did really well at school, if you got really like, you know, if you, I think it was, you were in the top, you know, 5% and only three or four people in that room raised their hand. And they used that as an example to prove that your, your intelligence, your IQ 
isn't the final indicator of your level of success and achievement in life. It's actually your EQ, which is your emotional quotient, your emotional intelligence, that ability to manage your emotions and, and interact and engage with other people that will see you succeed in life. So like you said, these are vital skills to be, to be teaching. Yes, it's so true. And you think about it, you know, you think about how many entrepreneurs there are that dropped out of school because they were emotionally intelligent enough to realize I don't want to learn this stuff. I'm going to go and do my own thing and follow my passions. And they are the ones that are, you know, hugely and wildly successful. And I think, you know, we, we are kind of indoctrinated into this idea that in order to, you know, provide the best for our children in order to make sure that they're successful, that they have to learn a set amount of things like particular subjects. And it's like, well, no, (laughs) because actually when you look at in terms of a career path, what they're going to, you know, need to use later on is going to be particular to whatever job they are drawn to or career or, you know, if they want to start their own business, it's going to be what they're drawn to. Um, and so they're going to learn that as long as they have the skills to mo- manage their own emotions and motivations, um, if they have been provided opportunities to tap into their, their inner designs, de- desire and their inner guidance, yeah. then they will, they will have the, you know, the wherewithal to actually follow that path and then they'll learn what they need to learn along the way. So if we're focusing on social and emotional development first and we're looking at, you know, ways to foster their passion and their drive and, yeah, give them some basic skills, like let, let them learn, how, you know, we'll teach them how to Google search and work out, you know, what's a good, a credible source of information and what's not, you know, because back in the day when we, you know, when I was growing up, we weren't learning how to Google search because we didn't have Google. <laughs> we were learning how to go and look stuff up in the library. And so we've got to now switch that around to, okay, well, how are we finding information these days? How are we, you know, how are we sourcing relevant information? And yes, we still read books, but how we usually will search for it first on Google, right? Um, so teaching ways to navigate that, teaching ways to navigate friendships and, and you know, social relationships, teaching ways to, um, you know, manage your own, everything that you need to know. If, if you have those, those basics down, then any additional learning on that can be a choice. We can give our children the choice in terms of, you know, if they go, well, I really want to be a doctor. Okay, well, if you want to be a doctor, yeah, you're going to learn the hard maths. You're going to learn all about the body. You're going to learn all of these scientific things, right? You're going to follow that path. But we, it, we seem to sort of race to get there by 18 that you have to sort of have this wide breadth of knowledge so that you've got all the choices to go on. It's like, but if, if they've got the skills then they can go and learn anything, if they decide when they're 25 that they want to become a doctor, well, then they can go and do that because they'll be able to go and learn the stuff they need to learn. We don't need to, you know, just break it down for them so early. And it seems to be such a race to sort of hit these milestones. And it starts from when they're born. It's not, this is not just when they go to school at five and six years old. This is from when they're born. It's like, you know, when are they talking? When are they walking? When have they got their first teeth? When are they, you know, it starts so early. And, and it's hard not to compare when you, you know, you're getting all of this information thrown at you that they should be doing this and this by this age and that by that age. And you're thinking, well, what am I doing wrong? That they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. If we just take all of that pressure away and say, generally, this is the order of things might change, might look different depending on the child. Um, take the pressure off. And I just think that, it, you know, we'll all be so much calmer, but let's move the focus instead of instead of monitoring what they're doing let's move the focus to here's some things at this age that you can be doing with your child to support this development 
Mm. Let's flip it around a bit going, okay, are you playing these types of games? You know, are you, are you making these sorts of things available? And then that's what's going to support the development here. And then by the time you get to six months or 12 months, if they're not doing these things, maybe we should look at, you know, what else might be going on because we might want to pick up something early that we can support them with. But there seems to be so much pressure on, and, and it just doesn't stop. It just gets quicker and quicker and quicker, you know, in terms of reaching milestones. It's like, yes, they've got those developmental milestones early and then it's academic milestones. And it's like, there's always, you know, something else to hit. And yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah. A lot of the learning that I've done over the last probably five to 10 years is, is, you know, really opening my eyes to what needs to change um, and, and what we can be doing differently for sure. Yeah. And so how would you, how would you teach someone some of these skills? Like what's your sort of process, I guess, with teaching someone about emotions? Like it seems like something that is quite intangible and it's probably why we don't really teach it in, in our, in our normal mm-hmm. schools, because in our normal schools, mm-hmm. but you, you know, in our um, regular yeah. <laughs> traditional schools, yeah. Traditional yeah. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. not an curriculums because it isn't something that I guess the, that scientific rational side of our mind and our society really, um, I guess, validates, isn't it? Because like, mm. you think about the, the, the negative way that emotions are seen, um, like with, with women, you know, we're seeing as being emotional and it's a bad thing, mm. you know, or, you know, boys don't cry, all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's seen as something to push away and not to, not to take on board and not to learn from, but it's actually a very important and empowering part of ourselves how, how yes. do you begin to teach people? Yes. Oh, look, there's, there's lots of different ways, right? So um, I, I like to sort of introduce it by letting people know a little bit about brain development. So I will generally, you know, start with um, explaining a bit about how the brain develops so that parents have a bit of a more understanding of why their kids seem to be so emotional all the time. Because I think often as parents, we have a hard time dealing with, you know, things that are called tantrums, right? Meltdowns or tantrums or overreactions to things. You know, they go, oh my God, my, you know, my two and my three-year-old is just losing their SHIT because they got the pink cup instead of the purple cup. And like, that, like because in our adult brain, we're going, that's a bit silly. Whereas actually in the, in the child's brain, their emotion center is reacting to that circumstance because they had one expectation and it wasn't, it, it was something totally different and their emotion brain kicked in. Their thinking brain is not fully developed. Our thinking brains, our sort of prefrontal cortex is actually not fully developed until we're about 20 to 25 years of age. So that's happening all throughout childhood is that those pathways are being created and, you know, um, you know, formed over those years and so our particularly for our very young children they're pretty much working from their emotional brain a lot of the time and so we sort of seem to I think as adults have this expectation and I think it's it's you know it's been passed down from generations and it's still a little bit of a societal expectation that our children should just behave because we tell them to when actually what they're dealing with is is an emotional reaction to something and when we just disregard that and try to squash it down because it's not acceptable to have a tantrum in the middle of a supermarket, for example, um, what they're receiving is that this emotion is bad, that this is somehow wrong and I shouldn't be feeling this emotion. Whereas what we want to do instead is actually, you know, get on the level and describe what's happening for them, give them the language that they don't have because they don't have the language yet. They don't have the, you know, the coping mechanisms yet to deal with this big feeling. And yet the feeling 
of that, you know, that the depth of that feeling is the same as an adult because our we're born with the emotion and center of our brain there already. And we have so many connections when we're born already that the depth of the feeling is the same from when we're little up until we're big. It's just that the circumstances that sets off the emotional brain will often be different. Mm. And so, you know, I think starting there so that parents have a bit more compassion for their children's feelings instead of thinking that they're somehow manipulating them to get what they want, recognizing that it's an emotion reaction to the situation where we can support them to, you know, recognize what that feeling is by giving them some language. You can say you're really sad and upset that, you know, that you got the pink cup and you really wanted the purple cup. And I can see that you're feeling really sad. You can talk about what's happening in their bodies for them so that they can start to tune in and recognize what's happening in their bodies. It might be that they've got tears. It might be that they're, you know, fists are scrunched up. It might be that they look really tense. You can sort of talk that through so that they are, you know, you're, you're sort of reiterating connecting with their body as well, which I think is really important because so much of our society disconnects us from our bodies. And so it's really hard sometimes to know what a feeling in our body means because we've just, we're just used to ignoring the signals from our bodies. Um, so sort of talking them through that. And then, so you're acknowledging and validating the feeling but then you might talk about, you know, for example, if the reaction was to, you know, to hit out or, or to be aggressive to another person, you can talk about the fact that it's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to hit other people. We don't hit other people. It's not okay for other people to feel unsafe or to be hurt. So instead, we're going to try, you know, punching a pillow or, you know, throwing a ball really hard, you know, outside against a wall or jumping up and down on the trampoline. You can give them lots of different, you know, ways to cope with it. Um, but sort of... Going through that process each time there's a meltdown, well, you'll, you'll start to see that they, doesn't mean there won't be any, you know, there won't be any less meltdowns. That will still help happen. The tantrums will happen, but you'll start to see the duration of them shortened because they're being recognised and validated for the feeling. And it doesn't mean that you then give in. You still hold the limit. So whatever the limit is that you've set as a parent, as long as that is, you know, either to do with safety or health or, you know, something to do with fitting in with the family, then absolutely you hold that limit, but you can do that while still acknowledging and validating the feelings that come from that limit. And so when we talk about teaching our children what emotions are, that's a really big part of it, is just supporting them to label it in the moment when it happens. Because like you said, it is something that's fairly intangible, but they, but they can recognize the feeling. And if you're supporting them by giving them some language from a very, this can happen before, you know, pre-language for our babies, um, right up until you know teenager into early adulthood even you can be talking about mm, are, you, are you feeling a bit frustrated right now or are you a bit hangry right now we can follow this process through all the way because we are effectively supporting them to, to sort of co-regulate their emotions when we are you know getting down to the level we are you know helping them work through it effectively each time um when I talk about, you know, well, another sort of, I suppose, option for teaching our children's emotions. So we do that in the moment all the time. We can do that as it comes up. You can also set aside time to actually go through and look at what emotions are and talk about them when, you know, when everyone's feeling calm. So things like, you know, taking photos of a happy face, you know, let's pull a happy face and we'll take a photo. Let's pull an angry face and we'll take a photo. Let's, you know, do a sad face, take a photo um, and a worried face. So the four, they're the four sort of main ones that you'll often start with quite basic ones for young children that you'll start with and then you might add some more complex ones as they get older but you can do that where they're pulling the face and then so they can start to recognize what that looks like you can talk about how would that feel in your body what would your body be doing if you're feeling really angry and you can start to prompt them to think about that um, I would probably say from about 
five, four or five, maybe you might do an activity like that. And I used to, um, I was working at a, a child psychology clinic where we were actually teaching social skills programs for children with autism. And, and one of the things we would teach about is emotions. And we would do things like emotions bingo, where you would have, you know, the, the bingo card would be different emotions. And then when you pull the card up, then you've got to match the card there. So starting to recognize what that looks like in a, in a picture representation. And then you can translate that into, you know, how that might feel in your body. Um, but so much of it is just in the moment, what's happening. Mm. Um, and, 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 you know, having the capacity to, to be there with that feeling for your child, instead of trying to sort of, you know, squash it down and, and stop the feeling or distract them onto something else, actually being able to sit in the feeling with them for, you know, for those, you know, minutes or maybe longer than a few minutes, depending on what's happened, um, is, is a really, really big part of it. And I think touching on that, it, you already mentioned this, I think, as well, but that in, in being able to be there for your children and sit there with their emotions, you first need to be able to be with, recognise and sit with your own emotions. And everything that you've shared just there, I feel like is exactly the same thing that we need to be going through as adults, you know, being able to take some time, notice the feeling in the body and, 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 and try and name it okay this this feels heavy this feels like this I, I think I'm angry because I know for me it's probably still to this day it takes me quite a long time to understand what the feeling is to recognize I actually often mm. need to sit down in with a journal and write about it because mm. so often we we sort of react don't we like we might cry but actually when we're thinking about it it's like no actually I was really angry but for some reason it came out as crying, right? And so then, and yeah, often we'll think, oh, I'm just really frustrated. And then when you break it down, it's like that you've, you've, you know, you're feeling anxious about something or you're feeling overwhelmed or you're, there's so, yeah, there's so many layers there that because we've not been taught from an early age how to do this process and how to actually, like you said, you know, sit with it, identify it, work out what's behind it, that, you know, it can be really difficult as parents for us trying to do that with our children. But I think the beautiful thing about this process of doing this with our children is that we get really practiced at doing it. And so then we can apply it to ourselves because like you said, it's exactly the same process. It's going, mm, okay, I just yelled at my kids then. Where did that come from? How am I feeling right now? What's going on in my body? I can feel like my stomach's a bit tight and I'm, I'm you know, I'm really jittery and I'm like sitting still, but I feel like I need to move. And, you know, and then you can start to identify, well, how do I move that feeling through? And so how we identify that with our children is that we'll give them a few options and then see which one they, they choose and they gravitate to. And we can do the same thing with ourselves. We can have a bit of a list of things that I, you know, things that calm me down, things that I, you know, love to do. Or sometimes it's just things that help, like, you know, physically moving your body, journaling out the feelings, you know, sometimes just taking a drink of water. Sometimes I'll be getting really cranky with my kids. And then I'll look at my water bottle and go, oh, I haven't filled that up today and it's still half full from this morning. I have not drunk enough water today. And if I have a big drink of water, fine, <laughs> back down to normal. So it's just, you know, it's a matter of practice, right? We've really got to just practice this all the time to start to get to know what the feelings look like in our own bodies and reconnect that sort of, you know, mind-body connection within ourselves to then have the, you know, the space to hold for our children. And it doesn't mean that we have to sort of do that and fix ourselves first before we can be supporting our children. We, it's, it's like it can happen all at the same time. We can be doing it together. And the process of, of holding a feeling for your child will help you 
start to learn to hold the feeling for yourself and vice versa. It's kind of this beautiful, you know, symbiotic relationship where you can be practicing both at the same time. Um, yeah. The dance. I hope that answered the question. Yeah. <laughs> dance really, isn't it? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But like you said, you know, your, your, your learning has been all around sort of, you realize that it's actually about emotional intelligence and so much of our personal development is just, I think because we haven't had a focus on it before. And so, you know, us being able to talk about this even now and we can start to turn that around where, you know, our children are going to be so much more capable of holding feelings for their children because they've been raised in a way that, you know, validated and, and helped them learn how to do it. And so it's this beautiful cycle where we're just going to be continually improving for, you know, for future generations if we can sort of break that cycle now and reparent ourselves to then, you know, be able to parent our children in a slightly different way. And that's going to look different, obviously, for, you know, for different families. But um, I think it's really important. And it's just work that's not valued, right? Mm. Self-development and, you know, parenting is just doesn't seem to be valued in our society, even though it's literally what creates the world. <laughs> the next generation of people are going to be running the world, you know, when we're too old to do it. So <laughs> it's really, really important work. Such important work. And I've always... Um revered parenting I think it's a really tough job and I take my hat off to to parents I'm not one myself and it is because it's a it's a it's a it's a permanent thing that you're doing you're you're raising a human or humans <laughs> and I definitely yeah, think it's right? very yeah. powerful and this this element of self-awareness I think it's really interesting it brings me back to and the biggest takeaway I, um, I got from one of my favorite books, which is called First We Make the Beast Beautiful. It's by Sarah Wilson. It's, it's about anxiety. And my, the biggest takeaway I got from that book, if you haven't read it, please go and get it. Even if you don't have anxiety, it's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's smart. It's funny. It's relatable. But it, it should, what she talked about the whole way through, the, the biggest takeaway for me was each and every one of us need to learn ourselves and know ourselves and know what works for us. What she shares there is her personal experience, her research, her ideas, ultimately what works for her. And she has a lot of issues. The author issues is probably not the right word, but you know, she's had um, been diagnosed with a large bipolar OCD, you know, and there are certain rituals that she needs to do that I know that I personally don't need to, I don't need to go and flick a switch 10 times or whatever. That's not in my psyche, but I do know that I, I need to meditate regularly. I need to um, practice yoga regularly. I need to um, have a lot of time by myself regularly. Otherwise I get to, uh, out of my body and into the world and thinking about other people and other people's things and giving, giving, giving. And, you know, I get out of balance. I guess that comes back to something else that you mentioned. It's all about balance. Mm. It's about finding your own personal balance. And that's that self-awareness that comes with uh, emotional intelligence and, and practicing those moments of, well, what am I feeling? Or what am I thinking? And recognizing, okay, this is a habitual thought pattern. This is a habitual like feeling pattern this isn't who I am. This is what I'm feeling. Okay. This is what I do when I'm feeling this way. I'm allowing myself to feel it. I use whatever process I use and then I go and, you know, get on with my day or whatever it might be. Yes. It's so important. And I think um, the really interesting thing about becoming a parent is that your children start to go through things that trigger you and you can either be in a state of reactivity where you just react without thinking or you can start to employ something and go oh wonder I wonder why my kids whinging at me all the time is real because this is one of mine it's like 
that whinging pitch, it's like, I'm like, like, stop doing that. <laughs> I'm like, why is that a trigger for me? Because actually kids whinge, like it's just part of their DNA. I don't know why they do. They just do. <laughs> and like, it's, it's, it's just being aware enough to go, okay, that's really triggering me. And so what I'll often do is some, I'm look, it's, and I'm not perfect. Sometimes I will blow up at them and go, just ask me nicely and I'll just you know get really cross with them but other times if I'm if I've realized beforehand I'll be like oh okay I'll take a I'll take a big deep breath and I'll get back into my body and I'll realize that this is a trigger for me and I'll just say to them when you ask me like that it just it it makes mommy feel a bit frustrated and a bit like I don't want to do what you're asking me to do because it's not a very nice way whereas if when you ask me nicely with your manners and you use a nice voice, I'm more than happy to help you, you know? And so just being able to recognize that means that you're responding to them in a calm way, in a way that they actually go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then often they'll do it. Um, you know, nowadays I'll just be like, is that the way that you should ask mommy? And usually they'll just go, oh yeah, please mommy, can I blah, 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 blah. You know, they, they've kind of, we've done that enough times now that they know, but um yeah, it's little things like that where instead of just reacting to the same thing all the time, it's going, it's recognizing that pattern and going, I'm reacting to that all the time. What's going on there? And digging, you know, digging a bit deeper into that. And and it's going to be an ongoing thing. I think the beautiful thing about that parent-child relationship is that they're going to trigger the hell out of you all the time because it's it's literally bringing up all of those things in yourself that for whatever reason as a child, you, you know, you didn't experience in the way that you wanted to or that was different from what you expected and so then you have an opportunity to then you know give that to your child and it it, it then heals both you know it heals the child and the parent and I think it's um yeah it's it, it, but it can be hard work because it's constantly bringing up things that you're like oh, I don't want to think about that I don't want to deal with that I don't want to know why I'm getting angry can I just be angry like just let me be angry about this right now <laughs> you know oh dear it's definitely an, an evolutionary process, isn't it? Then that yeah. sort of, okay, I'm being triggered and digging into why I'm being triggered and why this is coming up for me right now. Mm. Again. I mean, for me, I mean, I did, I, I did some, I sort of moved into the personal development world just for myself, just on a, you know, a personal level. Um, a, a few years before my first was born, but particularly I had a miscarriage um, about a year before I had my first child. And that really triggered me to, to go within and to heal some things. And the interesting thing that, I, thing that I've found is that I've just been able to uncover so many more layers because it, they're just, they're like at me all the time. Instead of having to go looking and digging for them and finding them, which you can do, right? You don't have to be a parent to, to you know, to do this beautiful self-development and to, um, you know, and to dig deep and to find all those things. But I just feel like when you have a kid, it's like, there it is. There's another one that like, it's like, <laughs> all the time and you're like okay we'll just put a pause on that for a second but I'll come back to that one you know like it's it is um it's a brilliant you know it's, it's a brilliant journey let's say that yes definitely I like that you don't have to go and do the digging if you look if you look just a little under the surface it's it's, it's all there <laughs> so for for someone sure. who is looking to maybe delve into this work a little bit deeper and, and wanting to know how they can better themselves and, and be better their children, I guess. What would you say is a starting point? Where would you? I think the first, uh, listening to this podcast is a great first step because obviously you're already, you know, going to be diving into your own emotional triggers and, and things that you can be doing to support, you know, recognizing that and moving through it. So I think 
that that first step of being aware of it and, and seeking out information is great. And there's so many beautiful free resources available to do that. Um, there's your podcast. There's, there's quite a few different podcasts where you can, um, you know, in terms of support with parenting that you can access, which is awesome. Um, if anybody wants a list of the, of the ones that I listen to, they're more than welcome to send me a PM or um, jump onto my Facebook page because I will, you know, I share things on there as well. Um, so I think being aware of it is first of all. And then, you know, if you're wanting support, don't, don't be afraid to ask for support because I think so often we, you know, we don't think twice about spending money on our kids and, you know, on, you know, their education or their, you know, extracurricular activities or, you know, things that they need or want. You know, you think about how much money, especially this time of year, Christmas time, that, you know, that is going to their enjoyment. But we're very, you know, I feel like we're very hesitant to do that for ourselves as parents. Um, but looking at it as an investment in your child's future, if you're investing in your parenting and, and getting support for your parenting, you're effectively investing in your child's future. Because if you are, you know, if you're teaching them things that otherwise you may not have been able to teach them, then that's, you know, that, that's an amazing gift. You can't put a price on that gift for your kids. So, um, you know, I think sometimes it's just a little bit of a reframe for yourself to go that I'm not just, you know, spending money on me because I feel like I'd like someone to talk to about, you know, the parenting stuff that I'm going through. Actually, it's an investment in your children effectively because the more that you're aware of how you're parenting and the more that you are consciously choosing what to do instead of just reacting, because so many of us are just reacting the way our parents would react. I still hear things come out of my mouth that that's my mother. <laughs> I think, oh, okay, there's one that I might need to like flip around. <laughs> but if you are, you know, if you're thinking that you're wanting to do things a bit differently and you're wanting to, to you know, wanting some support in how to do this with your kids, then then don't don't hesitate to reach out for some, for some support. Um, in terms of what I offer, I can do one-to-one sessions. So we can just do them sort of ad hoc whenever you like. We can do them on an ongoing basis for a short period of time if there's a particular area that you want some quite you know in-depth support with um, but also I run online programs so if there's a particular area so for example I have a social skills program that actually teaches you how to teach your children social skills and so we go into you know emotion regulation and behavior regulation as a, as a first I suppose introduction to that course because and that's actually available on my page for free if anyone's interested I've got an emotion regulation and behavior regulation sort of two hour long workshops diving into all of this stuff fairly deeply um pardon I said cool yes yeah right (laughs) so because because I really think that when we're trying to teach our children anything it all starts with emotion regulation because if they are if they are up here if they're frustrated or you know, hungry or tired or, or lonely or, or, you know, any of those things, they're not taking on any new information. So we have to start there because we have to get used to talking about emotions with our kids so that we can help them to label it and help to recognise where they're at on an emotional level as well. And then so many, I think, so many concerns that we have as parents are around our kids' behaviour and that what's behind the behaviour is what's important. So behaviour is communication, not manipulation. So if we're looking at what's behind the behaviour, and we're digging into that, then we're going to be much more effective at, you know, changing any behaviours that are perhaps not appropriate or that we're not comfortable with. We'll be more effective at changing that instead of just trying to, to punish or, or squash the behaviour if we're actually looking at what's underneath it and meeting the unmet need underneath it. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's free workshops on my page for that. And then if you're wanting to learn about how to teach your children social skills and connecting with others, then I've got, um, it's a four week long course on that, um, which is all inside Facebook. So it's nice and easy to jump into if you're interested. Um, there'll be information about that on my website 
if you are if you are interested in that. So that's www.semian.com. And yeah, a couple of ideas, you know, some other little masterclasses and things that pop up. So if you wanted to sort of learn at a group level, that's a really good, you know, entry level way to learn. And then if you wanted to dive really deep on a topic, then then come see me and we'll see if um, if I'm a good fit to support you and your family. Yes. Oh my goodness, there's so much stuff. I think I'm going to go and watch those masterclasses as well. <laughs> awesome. To <laughs> the fire, um, and we're always for like learning, learning more. You know, and you can definitely learn from so many yeah. people. Well, so, we're we're, cre- we're lifelong learners, aren't we? Like our we, our brains are designed to to just continually learn and, and grow and, and adapt. So yeah, it, it makes sense. So all of all of Sammy's links are going to be in the um, in the captions of this uh, podcast episode. So if you're wanting to go and find her on Facebook, find her on find her website, go and look at those free masterclasses, go and maybe look at some paid courses or paid work with her. You'll be able to find all of that there. She's already mentioned if you want to reach out and connect with her, she's more than happy for that to happen. So find her on Facebook, send her a message if you've got some questions, if you want to dive a bit deeper. If you feel like you can't find her, message me and I'll connect you. Uh, as well that's perfectly fine thank you so much for joining me today i could just talk about this for hours and hours and hours on it <laughs> i agree thank you <laughs> katrina i know we could we could we could but we you know it also needs to be listenable to <laughs> to the viewers so thank you so much for having me that was lots of fun i'll love to hopefully revisit the topic in the future if you want to chat again definitely thank you so much hun thanks for tuning in to another episode of the rebel podcast to learn more about any of the topics covered today to join my one-on-one coaching or purchase any courses, head to my website, www.katrinaharling.com. That's www.katrinahharling.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.